What's up, gamers? I'm Tori Dominguez. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. Our podcast is sponsored by Hideo Kojima now. He's got his own podcast, and he's also sponsoring our podcast. Isn't that right, Tori? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. He's going to come on the show next week. Don't take my word for it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was that was a really good yes and there. Thank you for <laughs> you really kept the ball rolling. Oh yeah. Um, uh, it's been a week of gaming news that neither of us were admittedly paying super close attention to. I think I think we're more geared up to talk about the stuff we've been playing than we are gaming news. But yeah, yeah, it's one of those weeks. On your end, it was an election week. On my yeah. end, it was some family stuff. We're just we're just having a week. But there was this showcase, the Gamescom 2022 showcase. Honestly, yeah. I've barely ever heard of this showcase. Is is this some like some some Jeff Keighley? Uh, Gamescom used to be a bigger thing. It's it's been around for a while. Uh, this is the one that's been hosted in Europe, and it's like it's never been as big as E3, and I think that's partly because of the fact that it's not in America, and the like American gaming scene has just kind of like dominated things for the past two decades but um it has been a big deal and it it has been like a place where they show stuff off i kind of completely forgot this was happening like like you said i was in elections mode this week so i was like every other florida reporter across the state eating shitty takeout pizza at 11 p.m in a newsroom like calling people who had just gotten elected to various positions And I did various times throughout the day see some stuff about Gamescom, but it like hardly even registered on my radar. So you were you were paying a little closer attention to the stuff that was getting announced, right? Yeah, I was kind of eyeballing it like throughout the day that it happened just on Twitter. One of those types of things Like this is not something that I really sat down and was like, I'm going to watch live like the state Mm -hmm. of play or whatever. But, you know, I did see it happen. I was looking through the highlights and was reading the roundups of the types of things that were announced. Mm-hmm. So I can just kind of run it through you pretty quickly. Yeah. Run this yeah. yeah, run through this by you, not run this through run, you. Run through this for you. Yeah. Run through <laughs> this for you. Really quickly. It's so been a long week, dog. It's been a long week, dog. Um so one very interesting thing is that they're making a pro version of the PS5 controller. That's the dual sense. This is mm. called the DualSense Edge. It has mm. two additions. Uh, one of it, one of them is like an additional set of like almost triggers or buttons on the back of the controller. Okay. Like, are they going to be programmable, I assume? You can like set them to different things. Yeah. And the other really interesting part about this is that the controls are totally customizable. Hmm. Are they not already? So. Hmm. Um, it seems like not. I mean, I've never, I've never fucked with my DualSense, hmm. but it seems like this is a thing that a lot of pro gamers have been wanting. They've wanted like a more customizable yeah. gaming experience. And so that is what this controller is seeking to deliver. I'm not really the target demo for this. Like I'm not, I don't do the majority of my gaming on the PS5 really. Mm-hmm. But it does seem interesting. I'm curious to see the price of this. Like, it has yeah. to be more than the average DualSense, which is, like, already quite expensive. But I'm I'm interested in it, and I wonder how different it feels. But I'm not sure I would want to buy it. Um, on a side note, relating to Sony hardware, 
Sony did announce that they are raising the price of the PS5, not in the United States, but some European and Asian countries due to just like, it's a global economic situation, which is very vibey, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, we've all got a global economic situation going on right now. Yeah, when do we not in this global economy? <laughs> I don't know about how much because it was just announced today, mm-hmm. but something to keep an eye on. I also find it to be very unusual that a console that's already approaching two years old is becoming more expensive in some parts of the world. Like yeah. Usually it's the opposite. Um, my first memory of this is Nintendo DS, um, mm. where it was initially one price, and then after about maybe a year or so, yeah. they lowered it maybe to attract more sales or because it wasn't perhaps selling enough units. But it was usually in response to that, and usually it goes down as time goes on and hardware starts to become more, well, outdated. But this is kind of interesting and something to keep an eye on. And I wonder if other consoles would do the same. I don't know. I, uh, I mean, the PS5 has had issues since day one as far as, like, supply issues and supplying things. And I don't know if that's, like, when it came out or just the stuff that it's built with. But it, yeah. this has been an issue, you know, since day one. Like, it's, it's kind of an oddity when people have PS5s almost because it's just so difficult to get them. I uh I did find the rates that they're increasing the prices and going based off of the Canadian and the UK or the European prices because those are the ones with currencies that I can like kind of wrap my head around. It looks like it's going to be going up about 50 bucks a pop each way. Mm. The uh the PS5 all digital edition is going from 400 euros to 450 euros. And the version with the disk drive is going from 500 to 550. Or in Canada, it's going from 499 Canadian dollars to 520 Canadian dollars. Ooh, but that's... Canadian dollars are just like kind of fucked up. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's that's like <laughs> that's not nothing. Like, that's a pretty definitely not this nothing. This is already this is already a console that was like significantly more expensive than some of the other ones on the market. Yeah, exactly. And not only that, but all like the supply issues. It is super weird to me that like it's still a flex when I tell people that Jesse and I have a PS5. Yeah. Even other gamers I talk to, like at work, we have like a gaming Slack channel, which mm-hmm. is cute. And like barely anyone on there has a PS5, and like sometimes I'll just drop it in a casual conversation, like blah 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 on the PS5, and everyone's like, "You have a PS5," <laughs> and they say it in the same way. One would be like, "You drive a Tesla," like it's mm-hmm. just, it's like, oh man, I wish other people were able to have this, and it just seems pretty wild that they're like two years into the life cycle, and it's still kind of an accomplishment to afford and acquire one. Um, and they're just about to make it more unaffordable for some places. Yeah. Um, the other thing that Gamescom had to offer was gameplay footage of Sonic Frontiers, which is set to come out November 7th. Uh, so it is a holiday release. I saw this. It looks... Okay? Yeah. It, it looks, looks okay. Like, it looks okay. It looks like... and it, I, I think... I don't know if you saw additional gameplay footage than what I saw. I saw a brief clip of somebody playing a chunk of it that it's like, maybe it's going to be the equivalent of like the Breath of the Wild shrines or something where you get teleported to like another area. So you're doing yes, like an, that's an what insular, I saw. okay, you're doing like an insular puzzle rather than being in the open world puzzle solving. And it looks like 
every other 3D Sonic game of the last 15 years. So, like, okay, that's cool, I guess. Like, Yeah, it's okay. Looks fun. I'm, I'm interested to see the reviews of this, honestly. I feel like it's going to become a big meme. I'm just calling it now. There's going to be some memes. It has the potential to. It has the potential to, yeah. It has meme, great meme potential. I will not be buying this. I will not be asking for this. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll not be asking for this for the holidays or for my birthday. What what I want to see is whether it will out meme Sonic Boom because that was that was truly a meme experience to live through. Were were you paying attention to the Sonic releases when this happened? Oh, I remember Sonic Boom. Yeah, Sonic Boom was the one that released. It was they were planning to like rebrand Sonic. They were like, guys. Sonic's not working. The last like 10 Sonic games have been horribly unpopular. Nobody likes Sonic. What can we do to make the kids like him more? And somehow what they settled on was redesigning incredibly iconic characters and then turning it into just like every other 3D action platformer but more broken. So they released this game for the Wii U primarily and I believe it came in on other consoles too, but the Wii U one was like the it was the main thing they were pushing. Which says a lot, firstly. And it was, like, completely fucking busted. It was so buggy. It was... It, the frame rate was just garbage. Like, I, I heard such awful things about this game. Wait, so I'm looking up Sonic Boom, and it's an animated series that came out in 2014. They did also release an animated series to tie into it, yeah. Because the whole thing was that this was, like, a big cross-media push to reinvent Sonic. And... So it was the animated show, there was the Wii U game, there was a 3DS game that was separate, and then they actually did a second 3DS game in the Sonic Boom kind of area. And the I think they had hoped that it would be more popular and that they could kind of put to bed some of the other Sonic stuff. But what ended up happening was that people were so afraid that they were going to sunset the rest of the Sonic stuff that they ended up sunsetting Sonic Boom instead. <laughs> so Wow, what a what a success. What a success. What a success. Yeah, I've heard the TV show is, like, actually pretty okay, though, as far as, like, weird. Yeah, it, lo- it actually looks kind of cute. Go. Yeah, it actually looks kind of cute. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Open world games overwhelm me, unless it's Breath of the Wild. And we'll have to see. I am excited for, for the content, for the tweets. Mm-hmm. I'll be there. Be good tweets. Um, I did see Goat Simulator 3, which looks like a lot of fun. I've never played any entry in the Goat Simulator series. I didn't know there was a Goat Simulator 2. <laughs> it looks like fun. You can, like, play as a goat and dress them up and seems, like, pretty chaotic. Uh, not much to say about that. Yeah, the only thing I know about these games is they're, like, chaos simulators, basically. It's just, like, they put you in a world and you just, like, fuck around and do stuff. Which is, like, not generally my thing, but, like, cool. Yeah, I guess I would put it in the same category as, like, Untitled Goose Game are those types of vibes. I think that's yeah. yeah. Animals fucking stuff up. Kind of fun. I feel like I would be into it for, like, three days, and then I would never play it again. But, like, same. fun while you're in it. Um, there's this other game. There was really nothing about it. It was a super short teaser. Just really more of an announcement of its existence than anything. But... There's a former uh, lead developer from Bethesda who worked on Skyrim, who left and made his own studio, and 
he is making this game that was revealed called Word Song or Weird Song. It's W-Y-R-D-S-O-N-G, one mm-hmm. word. Uh, it looks really spooky. Apparently, it's supposed to take place in this like fictional version of Portugal. It's supposed to be an RPG, kind of fantasy-ish. It seems cool. I I think I would be interested in that. But again, there's not a whole lot about that. This like sounds really cool, actually. Doesn't like, it? It looks really cool. Yeah. It's pronounced weird song, apparently. Um, huh. I, I was kind of looking through a little article about this on Polygon. And yeah, it's a former Skyrim dev. And he's talking about how one of the things he really wants to lean into with this game is the unreliable narrator, which sounds Ooh. awesome. Like, that sounds really cool. Oh, that's so, sick. Yeah, I don't know. That sounds really neat. Like, they're, yeah, I don't know. They're, a lot of the, um, I feel like it has almost fallen out of fashion in the open world games to, at least in the first person open world games, to do anything with the player other than, like, letting them make all the decisions for the character. And there are definitely, like, notable examples where that's not the case. But, like, I really like the idea of, role-playing like i am role-playing as a character who has their own sets of goals and their own sets of stuff going on so this this sounds really cool and yeah i really like yeah the vibe of this. this looks sick um i put i okay so i made a note of this other game that i heard of and then i saw some people tweeting about it and i was like what the fuck is the title of this game and then finally saw some screenshots and i was like wh- i i still remained confused as to uh, what this is this game is called I'm looking up these screenshots. This game is called Lies of P, like the letter P. And um it, <laughs> it's not urine. No, not urine, not P E E, folks. The letter P. Um this game is a it's being described as a souls like Oh my god, what is this bloodborne shit? It's bloodborne vibes <laughs> all the way down, like big petticoats with brooches and like gothic type vibes. But is a retelling of the story of Pinocchio. <laughs> I kind of love this. Um, I'm reading from the Rock Paper Shotgun article where they're talking about this. The RPG combines the story of Pinocchio with some major bloodborne energies as the puppet searches for a way to become a real human boy in a decimated city. With a dark gothic backdrop and mechanical killer robots to contend with, Pinocchio has his work cut out for him. <laughs> 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 I'm just so in love with the concept of this that I don't even care if it's good or not. Uh, <laughs> it I, actually looks good, like visuals wise. That's the thing. Yeah, it really does. Um, I I also really like they they put out like 12 minutes worth of gameplay, and uh, there was another headline. This one's from PC Gamer that says "You can't fool us" or "Lies of P can't fool us." Colon It's literally Bloodborne. So, I don't know. I'm I'm glad more people are trying to ape Bloodborne. It's a very good game, and I'm all for people just, like, taking what was good about Bloodborne and sticking it in other stuff. But never, never, I never put it on my bingo card that there was going to be a fucking Pinocchio Bloodborne game. I I hope he can use like his lying notes as a weapon, you know? I really kind hope Kind of like so, in Bloodborne, yeah. you have like a gun or whatever. You just like block attacks. Just use your your very long lying nose. Um. Well, what I'm wondering is, like, I'm assuming this is public domain Pinocchio. So this is probably, like, I don't, I'm not familiar enough with the the original, I guess, story of Pinocchio to know 
what stuff Disney came up with and what stuff was part of the original story. I don't know if, like, the long nose when he lies was purely a Disney thing or if that was, like, part of the original folktale or not. I'm imagining that, like, it's probably going to be the basis level of Pinocchio. So, like, maybe what's his dad's name? Geppetto? Geppetto's going to be there. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I'm just incredibly amused by this. I want... This is why I want more characters to enter the public domain so that we can get Souls likes based on them. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, just imagine. You know Mickey Mouse's like licensing expires next year? Yeah. They'll probably pass Mickey some Mouse law. Bloodborne. Yeah. If they don't Mickey pass Mouse some Bloodborne, kind of law. I want it. Granted, it would have <laughs> to be Mickey Mouse based off of like the way Mickey Mouse was 80 years ago. So it would be like steamboat willy bloodborne but like i'm cool with that honestly i'd play that i'm honestly cool with that yeah let's just let's just bring it all of like the folklore superheroes three blind mice bloodborne there we go, there we go. just i'm just listing off characters from shrek at this point i, I was just like... about to say yeah we're just we're we're pr- approaching terminal velocity of just recreating shrek 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 bloodborne actually why not shrek bloodborne I think the funniest possible thing they could do with the Shrek IP is without making another movie, just making a video game. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't Why know what not? the game would be, but I feel like that'd be the funniest possible direction for that IP. I think that's, yeah, I think that's the actual best option here. And then the other thing I wanted to highlight is this Kojima podcast. Kojima is making a podcast with Spotify. Awesome. It launches weekly episodes starting September 8th. The prologue is out now. The audio is in Japanese as well as in English. Oh, that's cool. It's called Brain Structure. And basically, the whole podcast is just him talking about, like, how his mind works and his creative process. Oh, my God. Because we've always wondered, like, what I personally always wonder what goes on in his head. Okay. So I guess this whole podcast is just that. And he, like, will invite some friends and, like, creative partners on the show with him. And apparently, Jeff Keighley will be on the show. Of course he will. They are they are supposedly best friends, so. Supposedly best friends. So, that is available. You can actually start listening to the prologue now. Maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I will. Um... Hideo Kojima, if you need a if you need a podcast producer, I am free. <laughs> here is my here is my resume. Please hire me. I need a job soon. Thank you. <laughs> I saw the tweets that were saying Hideo Kojima has a podcast, so like I knew enough to like you know joke about it at the top of the episode. Um, didn't know that it was going to be about like how Hideo Kojima is the smartest and most creative boy in the world, and this is how he became the smartest and most creative boy in the world. But <laughs> I don't know, I guess uh, Spotify is really just trying to corner the market on like annoying dudes or like not not that I don't really love Hideo Kojima in his games. I'm a big Metal Gear fan, but like a lot of Metal Gear fans are really annoying and I feel like they're not that far from Joe Rogan dudes. So I feel like Spotify mm. is just cornering the market on like really irritating dudes. But yeah, or dudes with really irritating fandoms. Yeah, there we go. That's a better way to put it. Because I have nothing against Hideo Kojima. I think he's a very, I think he's a very creative man. I'm not sure if I need to listen to hours upon hours of a podcast of him like this is how my brain works. But good for him, I guess. I don't know. I always get a kick out of when famous people get into podcasts because I'm like, this is this is a space for 
goofballs and weirdos who don't have any money. What are you doing? Yeah, here? this is this is how this is how ugly people make money. Remember get when, off. Remember when Obama had a podcast? It's like get out of here. Get out of here. What are you, you, you going to talk about? He had. Did he have a podcast like with Bruce Springsteen yeah. in particular? Yeah, yeah. It was the Obama and weirdest Bruce collab podcast. of all time. Incredibly weird. Like really, really cornering the market of like New York dads. I guess I don't I guess, know. Yeah, who's listening know. to that podcast? But folks, I give you my word that if I become wildly famous, um, or one of us becomes wildly famous, we will either end the podcast. Or we will not try to use our personalities as famous people to sell the podcast. You also have my secondary word that I will never bomb anybody's weddings in the Middle East like various other podcasters we have previously <laughs> mentioned. So you have that on you have that on good word for me. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is you were briefly talking about last week when we knew that the Knights of the Old Republic remake was going to be moved to some other studio it actually is saber yeah. interactive yeah that was so. uh that was the rumor flying around last week i think it was courtesy of jason trier i think it wasn't fully confirmed but it was like all the all of the news is suggesting that it's going to saber interactive um as a recap if you didn't listen to last week's episode the knights of the old republic remake that was supposed to be developed by that company asper media is uh moving to a different company but they are insisting that that is not going to cause any kind of interruption in the game that it's still going to come out perfectly on time obviously everybody thinks this is nuts there is next to no way that that you can like dissolve a team that is working on a game move it to a completely other team and expect it to just like continue unburdened so i don't really know how they plan to do that but funny enough, this is another company owned by Embracer Group, so they just kind of like it's like in it's like in a god game, like uh like Roller Coaster Tycoon or The Sims or something, where you just like pick up a person and just like move them to another spot. They were like, "All right, we're taking that to the Old Republic, and we are giving it to you instead." So, uh, I'm on the Wikipedia page for Saber Interactive though, and learning that they're headquartered in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So. I could just like drive down there and see if they'll give me the. Wait, scoop. weren't they like in Eastern Europe though? I thought they were. Well, um, I want to say Eastern Asper Europe, Media Fort is. Lauderdale. What's the difference, right? Oh no, I thought Asper Media was too, but they're based in Austin, Texas. So unless there is a different Saber Interactive owned by Embracer Group, which at this point is distinctly possible, <laughs> um, they are actually headquartered. Well, okay, here they've got a Belarus division, a Russia division, there and a go. Sweden division. So maybe. Maybe uh, Saber Belarus is the one working on Night Seal Republic or something. But again, I That's... mean, I could just drive down to their office in Fort Lauderdale and see if they'll give me the scoop on all this. Um, see if they got any Night Seal Republic merch hanging out. I don't know. Yeah. Speaking of um, video game prominent people coming up with their own content, um, yes. Masahiro Sakurai, like very well known for kind of making all these appearances and all these smash announcements. Mm -hmm. I believe he even like ran like a smash Twitter account where he just like talked about it almost every day. Mm -hmm. Um he is finally deciding to pivot from smash coverage um to launching his own YouTube channel where he talks all things fighting games and like that's the mechanics awesome. of them and this I think awesome. honestly that's really sick. Yeah, you know how I just yeah, you know how I just said that I don't need a podcast where uh 
Hideo Kojima talked about how he has like the best brain in the world and he's the most special boy. I actually want that from Masahiro Sakurai. So I uh, I'll eat my words. I <laughs> I think this is awesome. Maybe it's the fact that it's on YouTube instead of Spotify that does something for me. But I absolutely yeah. It's adore it's this. the YouTube instead of the podcast. I think. Yeah, like Sakurai's kind of already been doing this. You know, back when they were launching new Smash characters, he would do those mm-hmm. lengthy YouTube videos where they would show off the new character, and he would just like play as them for thirty minutes and walk you through it. And I, that was always like my favorite part of the new character reveals was like watching Sakurai play Smash for a half hour and just like talk about it because that guy's just got like such a wealth of knowledge about game development and it's like so cool to just hear him talk through stuff like what I think what I would like more than anything is if he just like started streaming on Twitch like I would watch Sakurai play games and just talk about them for hours on end so I think this is real neat yeah I think either this or a Twitch stream would work really well for, for mm-hmm. Sakurai. I, Absolutely. I'm totally watching this. What is this Disney Marvel thing you've got here? Yeah, you, you beat me with the speaking of. Um, speaking of, we were talking about Star Wars and Marvel stuff. There was an announcement by Disney slash Marvel slash whoever that on September 9th at 1 p.m. Pacific time or 4 p.m. Eastern time, there's going to be, they're doing basically their own, like, nintendo direct type of thing granted it's going to be live streamed or it'll be it says it's going to be live from the d23 expo so i'm not quite sure whether this is going to be like a person on a stage or if this is going to be more like e like nintendo direct style but they're going to be having their own games showcase for disney and marvel showing off stuff they they gave a short list of stuff that they are planning on showing off so it says we can expect all new announcements Ooh. But you can also expect reveals from titles that include Disney's Dreamlight Valley. So that's the like Animal Crossing town building game that like where you can hang out with Wally and shit. Um, Oh, interesting. Marvel's Midnight Suns, which is the Marvel XCOM game, like the card deck builder XCOM game that was supposed to come out this year, but got delayed, as well as new content for the Lego Star Wars game that just came out. So I'm imagining like. We'll probably get more info about Dreamlight Valley. We might finally get a release date and maybe some more like video of Midnight Suns and maybe some more DLC for the LEGO Star Wars game. Um, I am kind of curious what some of the other announcements mean. I did read earlier today that the, the Marvel's Avengers game was recently datamined and there was like supposedly some new content in there in the form of DLC that hasn't made it in yet. So they're probably still going to try to wring some money out of people with that game. And... I'd be willing to wager we'll probably get a trailer for um, Star Wars Jedi Survivor or a release date or just something. We got that teaser for it back at Star Wars Celebration, but D23 is like another really big chance for them to show shit off to fans and investors and shit. So I think this might be a good chance for it. Do you think, I don't know how much, like how much this would fit into a Disney slash Marvel showcase, but do you think we're going to see Kingdom Hearts 4 at all? I think it's distinctly possible. Because I think when they showed it off last time, they didn't really show off any Disney World stuff. They purely showed off uh, like the Kingdom Hearts world and the character designs and that kind of thing. So I don't think it would be crazy if... Remember like when Kingdom Hearts 3 was first shown off? They did like their first esoteric trailer where it was like, ooh, what's happening with Sora story-wise? But then they started showing off like 
Tangled World and Frozen World and that kind of thing. Like, I don't think it would be that crazy if we get a trailer that's, like, trying to divorce itself from what's going on in the story, and it's just, like, a minute or two of gameplay in one of the Disney worlds. Like, I think that's distinctly possible. Yeah, I'm very interested in this. I've watched D23s in the past, but it's been a very, very long time, so I'm definitely excited for this. Yeah, I think it's, like, kind of interesting that more people are branching out into, like, the doing their own video games showcase thing. Like, obviously, I'm going to be a little critical of it because it's Disney and they, like, they own the world. But I think it is kind of neat. It, they own enough shit under the Disney Marvel banner now that yeah. they can, like, kind of do their own thing. It's just that it has always been interesting because Marvel... Marvel video games have always been such a wide tent that has included, like, so much shit. And under Disney's direction, yeah. I think that has kind of, like, zeroed in a little bit. So, but I don't know. The, the little bit I saw of Midnight Suns looked really interesting. I'm a sucker for, like, deck-building games. And the fact that it's a strategy game that's leaning on, like, the XCOM-type formula looks really cool. So, I don't know. I'll, I'll totally watch this. It's first of its kind. I'll definitely tune in. I'm I'm intrigued by it. Nice. And I think that's pretty much it on that front. What are we playing? Uh, what are we playing? I can go first. I yeah, am, go first. I'm mostly playing the stuff I've been playing this past week. I believe it or not, I didn't have a lot of downtime for video games this past week. So when I was playing games, it was like the stuff I'm already playing. I mm -hmm. am continuing to chip away at Dragon Quest Eleven. I've only put like 15 hours into that game, so I know I'm like <laughs> probably like a fourth of the way into it. It's like yeah. It's such a cozy, good RPG, though, which, like, it's really funny playing it because it's, like, something I didn't pick up for ages but knew I was going to love, and unsurprisingly, I'm loving it. Like, it's so much fun. It's also doing this thing that IMO every video game ever, RPG or not, should ape, where when you boot up the game and you load your save, one of the characters pops up on screen and is like, here's what you missed from last time, and it's just, like, a little three-page text breakdown that's, like, here's where you are in the story, here's what happened last, this is what you're doing. And I was like, wow. Because I cannot... I love that. I cannot remember that, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many JRPGs that like I put down for a week too long and had to start over because I had no idea what was going on. And that is never going to happen with Dragon Quest XI because when I boot it up, it's going to always just give me like a little bit of detail about what I was doing. And like I might be a little lost wandering around a dungeon if I quit in the middle of it, but like... It's such an awesome feature, and it is such just, like, a cozy storybook video game. The Dragon Quest games are usually built in such a way that it's like there is an overarching story, yeah, but, like, every town that you go to kind of kicks off its own little vignette. So it's like you go to the town, you find out what you have to do, and that starts its own thing. And eventually it will connect to the greater story, but for the most part, that's going to be a relatively self-contained chapter of the game. And it's been just like that. I'll go to a town, I'll unlock the thing, I'll go to the dungeon, you traipse through the dungeon, you fight the boss, maybe you get a new party member or something like that, and then bada-bing, bada-boom, you go back out into the overworld and you do the same thing again. So, very bite-sized. It is like an oppressively long RPG, but it is very bite-sized and it is very fun, and I'm loving that very much. So, that's one thing I'm playing. Um, I'm also still chipping away at Devil May Cry 4. I am probably approaching the end of how much I'm going to be chipping away at Devil May Cry 4, though. I 
remember last week I was kind of like lavishing praise on this about how much fun the battle system was and how much I was doing enjoying Devil May Cry. Yeah, are you no longer enjoying it? So I read some reviews of it in when I started playing it, and the one complaint that I heard was that so the game's broken up into twenty chapters. I am on chapter fourteen now. I'm probably gonna beat it because I'm like so far into it at this point. And yeah. about spoilers for Devil May Cry Four, by the way, just spoilers for this game from two thousand eight that the story is really not that important in, but. Remember I said last week you don't play as Dante. You play they MGS to it. You play as a character named Nero. Nero's really fun to play with. I was like I had finally fucking gotten Nero's playstyle down. Like I I was doing some crazy shit. I was getting like S ranking on my style at the end of missions. Like Oof. I was feeling so good about it. That feels Nero. good. It feels awesome. And then for story reasons Nero is sidelined, and starting at chapter 12, you switch to playing as Dante. Oh. Which is, like, on paper, a really good thing. Because, like, I've not played the other Devil May Cry games, but Dante is much faster. He's very built for dashing around a stage, fighting, like, ten dudes at once, jumping around, chaining these huge, enormous combos. He has more moves, just, like in total than Nero does but Nero packs much more of a punch Nero's got one of Nero's moves tethered to the circle button on the PS3 would like grab enemies with his big arm and if you were fighting some enemies it would trigger like a unique animation to keep your combo going and that kind of thing Dante doesn't have anything like that so I'm kind of wrapping my head around the way Dante is supposed to play based on what I've read over the course of Devil May Cry 3, you unlock four different fighting styles with Dante. But the minute you unlock him in 4, you have all of those fighting styles unlocked. So it's a little, it's a bit of a learning curve jumping in and there's just immediately different fighting styles to switch between when there wasn't anything like that with Nero. And I, I don't know, it doesn't feel like he packs as much of a punch as Nero did because I was really enjoying how hard he hit. But here's the kicker as for why people don't like this. For story purposes, again, it takes place in like this relatively large area, but it's like you are you are going from point A to point B, and point B is where you fight a big boss, and then Nero is sidelined, and now you start playing as Dante. For Dante's story, there are no new locales or enemies. You are now moving from oh. point B to point A, and it's... It's kind of a bummer for the game to just be like, all right, you fought through all those areas. Now you have to fight through them backwards or with slight variation. And there is slight variation in like the enemies and the challenge of the enemies. And like you had to fight these like three or four big bosses. And at the end of the boss fight, every single time the big baddie would escape somehow. But when you fight them as Dante, Dante kills them. So it's like the boss fights are a little harder. And also Dante, like, for story reasons, is more of a badass. But I, it's a little, I just played through a level where it, like, turned every entry and exit throughout one of the areas I had already traipsed through into teleporters that took you to another random entry or exit that, like, required me to remember which ones went which way and do all, and it was, I hated it. I was like, I was like. Just, that's, that's such a grind. Just when I'm just learning the fucking layout. Just go through everything all over again backwards. Yeah, it's... I'm that not, would piss me off, yeah. honestly. It very much feels like a... 
I I really hate when people like Armchair decide that it a game feels like it ran out of time, you know, because it feels like such a I don't know how game development works and I'm an unsatisfied player, therefore it seems to me that they ran out of time or they ran out of money or this or that. But it does kind of genuinely feel like they ran out of time and they were like, we can't create any more areas because it would take up too much space on the PS3 disc or something. So uh, Dante can go through them backwards and get new weapons. So I don't know. I'm kind of indifferent to that. I'm going to play a few more levels. And if I'm not meshing with it anymore, maybe I'll just sideline it. But for the time being, it's still like fun because the combat is so tight and so good. But that's definitely... I don't know, I feel like that's kind of emblematic of this era of video games, too. Was And, and not that the PS4 and onward doesn't have that, too, but just, like, these huge fucking swings and misses where some games were starting to pivot to open worlds, but the open worlds you were getting were barren, and other games were yeah. like, ooh, but we don't we don't have an open world, but we have a really big linear world. And eventually it's like they've crafted this really interesting world, and it's cool to go through, but there is a limit to that so you have to go through it backwards now so i don't know i'm not yeah. learning that um i have one more thing to share i did watch a a really good youtube video i know we we're recommending youtube video essays out the wazoo on this show but um i i watched this great youtube video from flandrew i had never actually seen flandrew before but this randomly popped up on my youtube feed this person sat down and had an interview with Michael Ebert and Ray West, who were two of the key developers behind the Star Wars The Phantom Menace movie tie-in video game from, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, 1999. And it was so interesting. Like, Tori, did you ever play the movie tie-in adaptation game for The Phantom Menace? <laughs> no. Okay. absolutely not you've like seen the phantom menace though like you're you're familiar with yeah 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 i've watched all the star wars movies so, so the the phantom menace this was from one of the things one of the developers said in the interview that was really interesting was he said that the team that developed this game was a team of eight people and he was like i am he was like you couldn't do that nowadays he was like a star wars game would not get developed with a team of eight people it would get developed with like a team of a hundred people across multiple dev teams and with oversight from Disney and Lucasfilm and LucasArts or whatever they're calling themselves nowadays, like Star Wars games or Lucasfilm games. Like, the the level of oversight that they had was shockingly little. And it's I, I highly recommend you watch it. I'm not going to spoil all the interesting stuff they say, but one thing that was really interesting to me, and especially since like I've played multiple Star Wars movie tie-in games, believe it or not, and the... Believe it or not. Believe it or not, the, the movie tie-in game for Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, has a similar issue where, since game development doesn't happen overnight, instead of being given a copy of the movie to watch, they were instead given a script, basically, and mm. the game is based on that script. So he was talking about how, like, they didn't know what lightsaber combat in Episode 1 was going to look like. So they were basing oh it God. on what it looked like in the original trilogy. And then the few calls they had with the people at Lucasfilm where they would call up and go, hey, what kind of powers are the Jedi going to use in this movie? And they'd yeah. be like, eh, don't worry about it. We're going to figure it out later. Um, oh, no. Yeah, it was so interesting. The opening scene of the movie is a good example. 
They were like, yeah. you know, the, the Phantom Menace opens, there's the big crawl, and then Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are like in this conference room, and then they start gassing it with Cyclone B for some reason, and then the door opens, and then they get attacked by droids. And so they were talking about how a month before the game ships, this is like, the game is nearly done. A month before the game ships, they finally get to see a few minutes of the beginning of the Phantom Menace. And they see this bit in the beginning with a conference room, and they were like, oh my god, we read about this in the script, but wait, there's gas coming in? And there's a droid in here? Quick, how quick can we add the droid to the gas? <laughs> this is really funny. Um, that's a really interesting game. It was released on the PC and the PS1. I had a copy on the PS1 when I was growing up, and this was like a weirdly, I don't want to say open world, but kind of open-ended Star Wars game. Um, you could kill every NPC mm-hmm. if you wanted to, which is, like, not something that a lot of games from that era let you do. So it's like there were some missions where characters would be like, hey, you have to help us and get this MacGuffin to complete this side mission, and you could just, like, kill the person who gave you the side mission with your lightsaber. And obviously you were not uh encouraged to do so, but I have one memory I have is... You could kill any of the NPCs, right? Yeah. But you couldn't let story-important characters die. If a story-important character died, it would make you start the mission over. So, like, if you're fighting and then you attack a child and then the child's mom comes out and starts shooting at you and you're playing as Qui-Gon, but the crossfire kills Obi-Wan, you get a message that comes up and is like, Obi-Wan Kenobi has died. You have to start the mission over. Oh, my God. I remember one of the levels on Tatooine you have to start, like, you have to, like, you, it's a big map, and you get separated from the characters, and you're off doing side missions, and if you kill an NPC, uh, like, a certain amount of characters, all of the NPCs in the world will turn against all of your characters, and so it creates, like, this domino effect, where it's, like, if you kill, if you kill Jabba the Hutt, and then you wait, like, two minutes of in-game time, somewhere off screen somebody will have murked jar jar and then you get a message that's like jar jar has died you cannot proceed (laughs) oh my god i love that but they talk about that and and they go into that and they talk about how like uh they had been pitching another star wars game to lucas arts at the time that would have been a lot about like whether you wanted to be a good jedi or a bad jedi and making these choices and when they didn't let them make that game but instead said here you can make the phantom menace tie-in game they were like what if we just put some of the morality stuff into this game so very very interesting video i will put that in the description below um i think that's everything for me though what are you playing watching whatever okay so literally two hours ago i just beat hollow knight the way i wanted to beat it i did the dream no more ending which is the quote-unquote true ending um and so i did that i did that for seven days i was facing that final boss for seven days it was infuriating and um i like looked up some videos and how people were defeating the boss and i had to figure that out for myself and what i realized was that i was stuck on the final phase the whole time like i had passed through the first and second phases with pretty much flying colors, it was just the second, sorry, the third phase that really, really messed me up. But eventually, I just busted out my Switch today, and I was like, I'm going to try for like two hours before the podcast, before we tape today, thinking I wouldn't even 
like get it done like thinking I wouldn't make it and on my second or third try I beat it and it felt really fantastic and the ending was so good so the ending spoilers for Hollow Knight basically you face the Hollow Knight inside the Black Egg Temple you have to do a lot of things to get this ending you have to face all the dream bosses which are harder versions Mm. of the main bosses to strengthen your dream nail um to the maximum amount it can be strengthened by uh this old lady character Mm -hmm. in resting grounds um so if you do all that and you go to the black egg temple you face the hollow knight and you get to a point where you're kind of late in the game like late in this battle fighting the hollow knight and out of nowhere hornet that like girl who is kind of like you yeah um swoops in yeah the silk song girl swoops in and like is able to like tie him up or stop him uh with her with her nail and so what you do in this moment actually determines one of two endings if you continue to hit him um you defeat him and both you and hornet become the hollow knight which is like a semi bad ending because you're both sealed inside mm-hmm. the temple kind of forever um or if you sit there and you hit the Hollow Knight with your dream nail, you get transported to a dream world in which the Hollow Knight becomes a completely different beast called the oh. Radiance. And this is where the second phase of the boss fight begins. And so that's kind of where I was stuck. And the third phase is you just climbing up a long ladder with lasers shooting at you. And once you climb up all these platforms, basically, you just hit the Radiance a couple times and defeat it and end the game. And this ending ends with you um, dying to defeat the Radiance. And Hornet sees you, uh, walks in and sees your skull on the ground. And then she walks away, kind of assuming... That she is going to be the person that you follow next in Silk Song, Whoa, which she is. That's cool. So, very satisfying ending. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I I really like that ending. There are other endings with other DLCs that seem really hard mm-hmm. and kind of not my jam, from what I've read. So I think I am done with Hollow Knight. Although I am kind of interested in that Grim Troop DLC. Like circus themed, and there's yeah. some like cool looking bosses. So I don't That's know. Awesome. Maybe I'll come back to that. I'll certainly play Silk Song though for sure. Um, so that was that was Hollow Knight, and then the other thing. Um, I guess spoilers for like a 25 year old <laughs> anime. I don't know. Um, is I finished Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, I like. I'd say many people did not like. Episodes yeah, twenty five and twenty six. I thought it was real. It was real fucking weird. I did not feel good at all. It was just super weird. I hated being just inside Shinji's head the whole time. It, was, it felt really navel gazy, and there's also some parts where you just like it's just weird. Um, the whole human instrumentality project is really bizarre, and I think it's an interesting story element, but it just seems so yeah. sudden in a way. Um, especially coming off the heels of episode 24 where like he meets uh, Karyu and everything goes down with that and he has to kill him. And episode 25 is just like some yeah. weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 26. 
Uh, so I didn't really like it, the ending of it. I do love the show. The show is fantastic. When you find out that Ray is a clone, oh mm-hmm. my god, I felt so validated. I felt so validated because I knew from like literally episode ten, I was texting yeah. you. I was like, this yeah, I think you fake. texted me something like calling it now. <laughs> Ray is a clone, and I was like. How about you screenshot this message so that you can return to it and see how close you were to the real thing? You were right on the Dude, money. Dude, right I was completely money. right. I was I was like, she's either a robot or she's a clone. And the reason why I knew was because there's a scene where um it's one of the scenes kind of earlier in the series where Shinji pilots the Ava, he gets to a battle, and afterward he's like, mm. I don't know, resting up in the hospital. This is uh, this is actually maybe episode nineteen. This is after the incident mm-hmm. with Toji in Unit 03. Um, and Shinji and Toji are recovering in the same room together. Um, and so waiting outside the room are Asuka and Rei. And Asuka is like, oh, Shinji's been sleeping so much, he must be dreaming. And then she says something really weird to Rei. And she's like, do you even yeah. know what dreams are? And Rei is like, I've never had a dream. And she says it like in the weirdest voice possible. And I'm like, yeah. That bitch is fake. Yeah, I. <laughs> no one. You you simply cannot just like I don't, not ever I, I have dreams. Looking back, did they did they insinuate there that like Asuka knew what was going on with Ray? That like she had figured it out. Yeah, it was like yeah, you've probably never like, had one of those, have you? And it's like how now that I'm looking back, I'm like, does Asuka know? Because Asuka yeah. knew things that Shinji yeah. didn't. Like Asuka knew that Toji piloted O three. Yeah. You know what I mean. So, that that definitely opens up a lot of questions for me. But yeah, you find out that Ray is fake and has, like, Shinji's mother's DNA. Yeah. And, like, just all, there's so much crazy shit that happens. I can't even, like, like, he gets absorbed into his Ava and becomes soup. And then, like, the Ava kind of shits him out at the end. And he's, like, naked and like a baby. Like, super congratulations. weird. <laughs> Yeah, and then the human instrumentality project happens, and she's just go- just going over his like how much she hates himself, and then he's like, "Wait, maybe I don't need to become soup with everyone to enjoy my life and feel human connection." And then everyone's yeah. like, "Yay!" Um, that was just really interesting. Um, that's all I'll say about that. And then I was just feeling really dissatisfied by it, and so I was like, "I gotta mm-hmm. watch End of Evangelion," um, which. I mean, some of the most stunning yeah. animation I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, it's nuts. In how my good entire the life, is. I mean, just straight up iconic, just insane, insane shit. It starts off terribly. Oh, oh god, it starts off so fucking bad. Yeah, it yeah. it starts off terribly. I do not like if they just like delete the first two minutes, it would be a fantastic movie. Does it happen that early in the movie? I forgot that it happened that fast. Yes, it's literally the opening scene. It is the opening scene. And the scene to which we are referring to, um, content warning here, is um, Asuka is in a coma after a suicide attempt that happens earlier in the series um, when she is experiencing mental distress over not being able to pilot her Ava anymore and she attempts suicide in a bathtub. Um, she's in the hospital in a coma. Shinji visits her. He has, I don't know what his deal is, but he like tries to shake her awake pretty violently. And when he does, her, like, hospital gown opens up and you see her topless. And it all it shows is, like, the wall of a hospital. And then it pivots back to Shinji. Uh, and it's heavily implied that he masturbated to the sight of her unconscious body. 
um, which is really fucked up. I don't really know what else it could have been. <laughs> I think it's beyond implication. <laughs> I mean, I heavily imply. Yeah. I mean, it's, you see some things, so like it, it's just it's just shown. Yeah. Like that's what he did. It's really fucking weird. As soon as like you literally start the movie this way, and I was like, I checked the timestamp on Netflix, and I was like, oh, oh god, there's an hour and a half. Like, what what the fuck else are they going to do in this movie? This is already starting out deranged. And um, it just, it kind of goes through the events of 25 and 26 in a different way. I mean, it's still the human instrument tally project kind of happens in a way. Um, but it's just very different. Um, I gotta say top 10 anime battles is Asuka defeating all those mass-produced Avas that are, like, all white and freaky looking with their knives and shit. That is such a cool sequence. Like, the animation is incredible. Ugh, that scene is so cool. I honestly want to watch it again just for that. And it was so good. There are some really fucking problematic parts in the end of Evangelion. Uh, notably, uh, Misato getting shot and then the last thing doing is kissing Shinji on the lips. I was like, hello? <laughs> um, why is this happening? It was yeah. such fucking weird timing. That whole death scene would have been much better and much sadder. It really was oh, sad. Yeah. I was no, sad was to cool see her go. Yeah. I liked her character for the most part. But that part was really weird. But um, you just see her kind of holding in and like telling Shinji that like there's nothing wrong. Don't worry about her. And it's really sad. Um, and then on the floor, she's like clearly hallucinating from blood loss and dying. And she's like, where yeah. are you, Pen Pen? And God, that really, that really fucked me up. Because she sent Pen Pen to live away with a friend in a safer area of Japan, and I'm just thinking that, like, Pen Pen doesn't know his mom is dead? Because, honestly, wait, because Pen Pen has a dead mom, can Pen Pen pilot an Ava? Question mark. Yeah, maybe he um, could. Maybe, maybe he could. <laughs> um, so, there's that. There's so much, like, weird Freudian mommy issues in, in the show in general, but particularly in End of Evangelion. When Shinji like goes into like the minds of some people and sees what's going on, he goes into Misato's mind just right just sees her getting railed for like thirty seconds. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like okay. Yeah, I I don't know. I, so there's that. I I think I really enjoy. I think I was a little thrown off by it at the time, but I really enjoyed the the original two episode ending with twenty five and twenty six. I know um, there's like a litany of reasons why the show was ended that way. Like one of them was the fact that Ano has said that they basically ran out of money, and they they like that's why they had to get really creative with the animation because you know how there's like chunks of twenty five and twenty six that are like hand-drawn notebook pages and that kind of thing like it's the animation is yeah oh and yeah their explanation for that is that they they just ran out of money like the the studio quit giving them money gynax was like you guys gotta fucking figure it out and so they had to get creative with it and do something that was a little more cerebral now other people have said that part of the reason is because ano literally did not know how he wanted to end the series when they were making the end of the series like he was so indecisive and so unsure about how he wanted to end this story that what he settled on was a non-ending that viewers could kind of graft their own thoughts onto. And, I mean, another element of it, too, was that Anno was experiencing, like, some very serious depression when he was making the series. And he was really trying to figure some stuff out. And I'm, I'm reading from an article here on IGN 
about the ending of Evangelion. I'll put in the thing too. And I've heard some of this too. I wasn't sure how much of this was like urban legends and urban myths about Evangelion that I had read on forums websites back in the day or in how much of this was like actually confirmed to have happened. But it reads, Sometimes, sometime before the finale was made, Anno was given a book on psychology and mental illness by a friend, and it became and it became the closest thing to a breakdown he'd had regarding the issue. That experience formed part of the basis for the television ending, and it carries a sense of hopefulness and the po- possibility of recovery. I wrote about myself, Anno said to New Type in a translated interview by CJAS. My friend lent me a book on psychological illness, and this gave me a shock, as if I finally found what I needed to say. So. Part of the ending is like Anno, uh, an extended therapy session for Hideaki Anno of figuring out himself through Shinji, figuring out himself through the audience. I definitely got that, yeah. And yeah, it comes through. But my understanding is that some people were so angry that the series was basically left without a resolution because like, like the messaging, like the animation or not, it does kind of leave things off on a complete non-ending. Like, you are you are told at the beginning of the show that yeah. there are X amount of angels. They have to f- kill the angels, and then we're going to figure out what happens after that. And so episode 24 ends with, what, is Kawaru the second to last or the last? He's the second to last angel, isn't he? Um, I feel like, yeah, he is. Isn't it? looking this up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he is. So it's like 24 ends with the second to last angel dead, and you're like, oh my god, what's going to happen next? And then it's just an extended session of therapy. And so people were so mad at Anno that I know he said that he had gotten, like, death threats. Like, he, people were very, very angry at him. They were very unhappy with it. And so End of Evangelion is, like, in part a reaction to that reaction he got. And... You know how there's, like, a chunk at the end of the movie that is, like, live action? Where it's just, like, you see people in the movie theater? Oh my god, yes, that's so weird. It's, like, all of that meta stuff is... uh, I'm, again, gonna read from this IGN article. It says, Anno's response was to present a distinctly different ending in response to the fan backlash about how retreating into fantasy causes the end of the world, prevents human understanding, and dooms Shinji to make the same mistakes over and over again rather than successfully grow. This explains the live-action section of the movie theater during the film's instrumentality montage toward the final act of the movie, and why there are letters on screen. Those are actually a selection of the death threats the studio received. The resulting film is a bitter but earnest one. And it's and then they go on to talk about it too, and that's, it's true, like, part of it almost feels like it's like a fuck you to the fans, you know? It's like, well, you weren't happy with the way I ended it. So fuck you, I'm going to kill all the characters, I'm going to turn Shinji into even more of a sex pervert than he was before, and you're just going to have to live with it. But like, I, I do think both both endings serve as like a really interesting duality to the end of that yeah, series. Yeah, like, they definitely talk to each they other. They definitely sure. do, and they, they especially talk to each other in terms of like mental illness and like fighting against depression and apathy, and even if I think... Even if I think I get more personally from the message of the end of the first of the two episodes of the TV version, like as corny and goofy as it is, like the I'm going to live for myself, I'm going to live to be me, not to be a big bat of Fanta, and then like the cut to everybody clapping and the congratulations, like I adore that. It is like the perfect level of cerebral that I love, but, like, the end of Evangelion it is. is still, like, really interesting and really cool, even if it's, like, trippy and fucked up. 
Yeah, I, I do understand the first time I think more now, because when I first watched it, it was very much like a what the fuck that yeah. I just watched. It feeling. catches you completely out of left field, yeah. Yeah, now I understand it more now, and I like the message that he has. Um, I think Evangelion, though, is really just some really freaky shit. Yeah. Um, the god ray is terrifying. The whole, the whole world becomes soup. <laughs> and that scene at the end, like, when it's just him and Asuka, and they're, like, laying on this, like, blood beach yeah with floating crucified humanoids and he just like chokes her out and she touches him and there's this moment that i think it's because no one's ever touched him like that with that love that he stops choking her and then she like looks up and goes disgusting um ah god that's so that's so good yeah that's so good yeah and I think it kind of accomplishes the same task that the first one does of being like, look, Shinji realizes that he needs to not be soup. He needs to be like his himself, which means there is some level of isolation in being your own individual self. Yeah. Um, and it's just that's so fascinating. And so because of this, I'm like obsessed with Evangelion now. I'm like fully Evangelion pilled. <laughs> and Jesse and I started watching video essays about it because it's just one of those things. Even Kelly, it's one of those things that you watch it and you're like, I gotta watch like six video essays on what I just saw. Mm-hmm. And so um, Crunchyroll did this fantastic video essay that breaks down all the timelines in Evangelion, of which there are 37, <laughs> um, that include anything ranging from manga to anime to chic razor commercials in which um, Gendo shaves and he ascends into go. the sky in, in a T pose. And he says something like shave impact. Like instead of the third impact. He says shave impact. Um and I so basically it just it breaks down the different ways in which Evangelion can end. There is a prime timeline mm-hmm. that is like the, the anime and end of Evangelion. Uh and the manga. There is a no impact timeline in which the third impact never happens. Mm-hmm. And then there's the school timeline. There's all these like spin-offs and like dating sim PS2 games, like only for the like only for Japan. Yeah. That explore that weird blip in uh I think it was in episode twenty-five or twenty-six of Evangelion where they he wakes up and like his parents are together yeah. and they go to school and it's basically the first episode of Sailor Moon because like Ray is running around with toast in her mouth. And she, like, bumps into someone on the street on the way to school. That literally is the first episode of Sailor Moon. Mm-hmm. There's, like, five timelines within that timeline. Uh, there are other timelines and other video games and commercials and IP collabs. Like, there's an IP collab with Transformers. Yeah. That's super interesting. Um, there's, a, <laughs> there's a collab with some, like, equestrian organization and some famous, like, horse jockey, Japanese horse jockey guy. Because at the time... Like, equestrian sports were not popular amongst young people. I don't know when they ever are popular. <laughs> they were like, young we'd people. get them popular by putting Shinji Ikari on a horse. <laughs> yeah, so what they did is there's like a unit 01 horse, like a purple and huh. green robot horse. That's, you gotta watch this video. I'm gonna have to watch this. I'm gonna send you a link in the chat here on Zoom. Um, there was a tie in with this is actually relatively recent within the last few years between oh my God. Evangelion and Tamagotchi. They called them Ebachis. And um, the little eggshell of the Tamagotchi that, like, you hold is colored to look like one of the Ava units. So, like, 
they have one for unit 01 that's purple and green and they have one for 02 that's red and stuff but it's like instead of a, a little tamag like instead of memechi or like one of the goofy little tamagotchi characters you raise like a little baby angel and <laughs> my understanding of it is that it's like yeah you you raise this little angel and you got to do your own little thing and you have to feed it and you have to do all this stuff. It has an AT field. You have to work around the fact that your little baby that you're raising has an AT field. And apparently, like, um, from the Tamagotchi fandom website, if the user maintains good care and either does not meet the conditions to evolve into a special adult or reaches a certain age, the angel will depart on its own and trigger the third impact, leaving a blank screen with the message, congrats. <laughs> Oh my god. So you can raise you can raise your Tamagotchi to uh cause the third impact. This is very cute in like a really kind of fucked up way. I love that very much. That's though. that's so interesting. Speaking of AT fields, there is a there's like a some sort of vegetable or like kind of like juice collab mm-hmm. with Evangelion in Japan. Uh and there's like a, a commercial where the juice boxes are the Ava units. Oh my god. And the angel is a tomato and they, they throw the spear of, of Longinus into the tomato but the tomato has an AT field mm-hmm. and the commercial is very much directed like some sort of action scene where it's like oh, the tomato has an AT field oh and it's just like it's crazy anyway I love it you gotta watch that video it's it's wonderful yeah there's an Evangelion water park I wanna go <laughs> I feel like I feel like we're at the point where we've talked more about Evangelion than we have video games this podcast but I, I definitely think like it's such an interesting series. It's such an interesting case. It's got some serious yeah. issues. Like, it has some problems. It has some very serious problems, and anybody who has watched it will, like... I think anybody sane who has watched it will admit that readily. And, yeah, it's it's just such an interesting case in terms of... Like, I've mentioned this to you on the show already. Like, the way it has impacted other things. The way so many references to Ava are slipped into other things. And... Yeah, it's just fascinating. It's a really interesting show, and I enjoy it a lot. Um, I don't know. Now you'll be able to see what I mean yeah. when I say stuff is like Evangelion esque. Yeah, it's thank you for thank you for convincing me to watch it. Yeah. I'm now I have like a real thirst for like dark sci fi anime mm-hmm. shows, and so now I'm like, should I watch Ghost in the Shell? Should mm-hmm. I watch, um, Elfin Lied? That's that's a classic. I've heard Elfin Light is like not actually good though. It's not. I know one person who likes it, my brother. And I vaguely remember him watching it when I was in like middle school or high school before he moved down my parents' house. And it was like past my bedtime and I woke up in the middle of the night to like get some water. By middle of the night, I mean like twelve AM. Get some water and I I guess he had just started watching it because there's that pretty iconic scene where she's like naked. And like decapitating people, and and I was like, what? What is this show? Like, what is this? And she was, he was like, it's for adults. Go to bed. And I was like, okay. And I went to bed. But I remember going to bed, being like, I want to watch whatever that was. Ghost in the Shell was very good, and I've heard that Standalone Complex was really good too. The Scarlett Johansson classic. Yeah, and I think. That's pretty much it for us. I think that is everything that we wanted to talk about. We we talked almost more about anime than we did about video games. So shout out to our anime podcast, our our anime podcast, our Shin Megami Tensei podcast, our YouTube as video essay algorithm podcast. I love it very much. Yeah, we can name this like this is an anime podcast now. Welcome to Press Start, the podcast where we don't talk about video games.
Yeah, exactly. You, you're going to get just as much about Florida politics than you are as you are about video games. Um, Tori, where can people follow you on Twitter if they want more of your non-video game video game opinions? Sure, you can follow me at Tori underscore as underscore always. I'm on Twitter at Noah underscore Hertz, spelled H-U-R-T-S. And the show's on Twitter at press underscore start pod. You can also send us emails or your thoughts on which ending of Evangelion you prefer at heypressstart at gmail.com. All of our music and cool sound effects are from the artist Geist. You can listen to more of their music at noahgeist.bandcamp.com. Remember, as I said in the last episode, if you make music, if you're in a band, send us an email, hit us up. Please do. We're interested. I would like to speak with you. Our show art is by Kai at Wisp Graphics. All of our free-range video game news is corralled and uh, sourced by um, myself and Tori, especially Tori this week, and the episodes are produced by me. Thanks for listening to our Evangelion podcast, and bye-bye.